This episode of That's Total Mom Sense is sponsored by Sambacall. Fall is upon us, and you know what that means. Cooler weather, layers, and of course, the kids heading back to school. Have you checked off all the items on your never-ending list? New clothes, notebooks, pencils, brand new backpack. The kids want it all. But have you thought about how to keep them healthy when they're heading back to school? That's where Sambacall comes in. My kids and I recently started taking Sambacall every day to help support our immune systems so we can keep doing what we need to do. Sambacol is made from premium European black elderberries, which are natural sources of powerful antioxidants and key vitamins like A, C, and E. They help support a healthy immune system and help you power through your day. What's so great about Sambacol is that they have tons of different ways to get your daily helping of black elderberry, like syrups, gummies, chewable tablets, drink powders, capsules, and more. They have products made just for kids, too. My three kids love the Sambacol Black Elderberry Gummies. They love the flavor and remind me to give it to them when we're rushing out the door during drop-off. Make a healthy immune system part of your back-to-school strategy this year with Sambacol. My listeners can receive 15% off their next order of $9.99 or more at SambacolUSA.com by using my promo code MOMSENSE15 at checkout. That's 15% off your order of $9.99 or more at Sambacol, spelled S-A-M-B-U-C-O-L-USA.com. And remember, use code MOMSENSE15 at checkout. And here's a pro tip. Save the promo code and the website address in your notes app. I know you're busy, too busy to remember this promo code and sort through the episodes to find it. So it's MOMSENSE15 and the website is SambucolUSA.com. This episode has been brought to you by Lunia and Lago. Whether you're waking up at night or just calling it a night, Lunia is your daily reminder to find beauty in the everyday. Lunia's mission is to elevate rest ever since it was founded in 2014 by Los Angeles native Ashley Merrill. Known for pioneering washable silk and cashmere, they've expanded into other signature fabrics like organic Pima and cozy cotton silk. Everything Lunia makes is designed to tangibly improve rest with products as functional as they are beautiful, sleepwear with patented no-twist waistbands, strategic ventilation, stay-put sleeves, and state-of-the-art fabrics are just some of the rest-centric innovations that are at the foundation of the brand. I love the short robe. It's a robe reimagined. It's constructed of the most buttery fabric, organic Pima, and it feels super soft to the touch and it's cooling too. When I'm just looking for some time to wind down at night or if I don't have to get ready till after my workout, I live in this robe and it's a very flattering silhouette. So if I have to wear it out to a drop off, no one's ever going to know. Use my special code MOMSENSE20 to receive receive $20 off your first order of $100 or more at lunia.co. That's what a mom sense is a show that is informative, engaging, and inclusive. So it makes perfect sense to not discount the dads in our audience. Here to shed light on a father's perspective is my co-host, Michael Perry, founder of Maple, a parenting app with a mission to create a support system for families so the days are manageable, daily tasks are checked off, and there's harmony in your household. 
Michael is a trailblazer in tech and is a loving husband and devoted father to his two boys. Together, we bring you a special monthly series called What Matters Most with Michael. When I became a dad, I wondered where my dad groups at. I made it my life mission to provide parents with the support they needed to best take care of their families and want to make sure all perspectives in the parental experience are equal and fair. So moms, dads, and everyone in your village, be sure to tune in to What Matters Most with Maple on That Total Mom Sense each month. We've We've got got you. Kimberly Wolf has been championing the health and well-being of teenagers since she was 18, sitting on the quad at her Los Angeles high school, talking with her friends through broken hearts, crises in body confidence, fights with friends, and battles with perfectionism. She has an undergraduate degree from Brown University, where her thesis on the history and evolution of sexual health content in 17 earned honors in gender studies. And she has a master's in human development and psychology from the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Her approach blends integrative wellness with positive psychology and entrepreneurial leadership frameworks to equip today's young people with the wisdom and skills they'll need to succeed in their personal, academic, and professional lives after high school. Her work has been featured and promoted by platforms including Huffington Post, Forbes, NPR, The Representation Project, and DrGreen.com. Lately, she's been focused on closing the gender gap, teaching her love class, trademarked, an exploration in self-love, rational communication, and sexual health for high schoolers, helping fathers communicate more effectively with their teenage daughters so young women are more prepared to succeed in their personal and professional lives, and collaborating with other media producers and entrepreneurs, promoting gender equality across the globe. Her book, Talk With Her, A Dad's Essential Guide to Raising Healthy, Confident, and Capable Daughters, by Penguin Life is Kimberly's first book. The type of men that women date and have long-term relationships with are also directly related to the kind of relationship a girl has with her father. Of course, the hope is that the father figure in a girl's life is a good one and allows her to formulate opinions of men in a positive way. A daughter's relationship with her father can play a key role in her psychological development. In fact, when fathers are present in their daughter's lives, girls grow up with a healthy sense of who they are. They're more confident and self-assured and have a clearer understanding of what they want in life. Communication with your daughter doesn't mean having big conversations all the time. Creating even the smallest moments of father-daughter connection can build bonds. In the book, Talk With Her, you'll find information on 19 topics defining your daughter's life, including body positivity, romantic relationships, social media, mental health, and academic achievement, along with the communication strategies you'll need to address them with care and confidence. With cutting-edge research, expert perspectives, and talking points, author Kimberly Wolf brings broad-ranging and often overwhelming topics into focus to help you make a positive, lifelong impact on your daughter one conversation at a time. Kimberly, welcome to What Matters Most with Maple. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you for having me. I am very, very excited to be here talking with you today, the day after our book launch. Yes, congratulations. Thank you. Well, take it back to your childhood and how you really forged this lifelong bond with your dad, uh, so much so that you felt inspired to write a book about it. 
So it's really interesting. I've always been really close with my dad, both parents, of course. And I make sure to talk about that because my mom's a very important person in my life as well. But my work right now is centered on fatherhood. It hasn't always been perfect. I think that's always important to say too. You don't have to be a perfect father to have a lifelong close relationship with your daughter. And I really became interested in girls, of course, before I became interested in the impact of men on young women. I grew up in Los Angeles. I was keenly aware of the effect media had on us growing up. We lived kind of in the shadow of Hollywood. We knew a lot of celebrities. I grew up on movie sets, going to premieres because of the community I was part of. And from a very young age, I was very interested in the positive power of the media. And simultaneously, I was going to school at an all-girls school. And I was just this person who everybody came to. We would talk through love and mental health. I always kind of was a caregiver. I come from a family of doctors and I, growing up in LA, you develop sort of an kind of an innate understanding of integrative health. I was really interested in how do we learn about the information we actually need to thrive in different areas of our life. I write nonfiction now. I was always a student of nonfiction, even from the time I was as early as seventh, eighth grade, I was reading the Celestine Prophecy, other books of that nature. And then I went to college and I went to grad school. I studied the intersection of adolescent health and media. How can we use the media to teach young people the habits and information that they need to thrive lifelong? Life skills have always been taught in schools, you know, more and more in the recent decades. But with topics like love and mental health, those are more moving targets. And I really felt like we can use the media to have an impact on young people. I've taught health education. I was launching a platform for teenage girls and I was meeting with investors all over LA and New York and Boston and San Francisco, trying to get this media platform off the ground. But what ended up happening, that was a huge shift in my perspective and a huge shift in my career was that the investors I was meeting with were fathers of teenage daughters. They're very excited about my platform. And we had a lot of these conversations where I said, okay, we're going to help you this way. And we're going to help you once you get here, maybe we can invest money here. And let's talk about strategy, all the ways that these entrepreneurial conversations go. But they would inevitably end with really deeply personal questions from these men about how to manage their own relationships with their daughters, by extension, also their partners, their parenting partners, the negotiations around how do we raise these girls? What do we need to know? And really giving me insight into these very personal struggles men were having around raising their girls. The first question I got, which I write about in the book, was with an investor I was standing with outside of a coffee bean in Los Angeles. And he said, I just have one more question for you. And, you know, when you're a young entrepreneur and you're all excited, talk to these investors and you want to make an impression. He said, I just have one more question for you. Can I start dating again after my divorce? Or is that going to hurt my teenage daughter? And I was so honored by that question. That's a deep question. That is a super deep, super dynamic question. And guess what? I could help with that. I was very surprised that at two o'clock on a Tuesday, this man was worried about being a better dad to his daughter. But of course he was. That was a real turning point for me. That was the first of many conversations. And I called my own dad and I said, dad, was it really that much harder to raise me than it was to raise me and my sister than it was to raise my brother? And he says, without hesitation, oh, Absolutely. Absolutely, Kimberly. And that's what brought me to talk with her. Wow. I I do want to touch on a thesis you wrote, um, which was about the sexual health content in Seventeen magazine. um, And that's something you did in your childhood too. Talk about that. As I said, I've always been really interested in the positive power of media. And I come from a family of doctors, 
my brother, my uncles, my father worked kind of healthcare adjacent in insurance. I was just always really interested in health and wellness. And, you know, I think that sometimes we're just born with these innate interests, right? We, these innate interests sort of come out in us, right? And I have this very innate passion for using media to make people healthier, mind, body, inside out. When I was thinking about my thesis. I was a gender studies major at Brown. It was really, it was optional to write a thesis. It was really important for me to write it. I've always been an academic and a scholar, and I just like those long projects. I've always been a writer. The cool thing about Seventeen Magazine was that it was the oldest magazine for girls. So what you could do is you could trace the history of girls' health and the cultural trends throughout this kind of, at the time, it was 60 years forward. They started in 1945 or thereabouts. So you could kind of trace girls in the media through 17. By trade, I've been a sex ed teacher since I was in college. Again, I've always just been, that was one topic I've just been really interested in always, is how do we make sure that girls learn about their bodies? How do we, you know, self-love relationships and sexual health my curriculum is called Kimberly Wolf's Love Class. And because the baseline of healthy romantic interactions and sexual interactions, which are extremely important to women, and, you know, I'm not advocating for, you know, people having sexual interactions at too early an age, but it is a huge topic of interest to girls. I've always known that because I am a girl and I have a lot of girlfriends that was a particular area that brought me to this project on 17. You could see the changing values in American society. We knew that girls, that sexual values were starting to change in the 50s. People didn't talk about it. And so in those years, 17 was more talking about, you know, here's how to make a can of corn go 14 different <laughs> ways. Um, there was an article like that. There was actually engagement ring advertisements, things like that. When you got to the 60s, there were articles sort of starting to get at this idea that girls were interested in sex and sexual health. The first articles were about the sex questions that bother boys. They took a cross-section of boys from an, a Northeast boarding school. You know, obviously we can talk about representation. There wasn't a lot of diversity, of course, is very problematic in the early years of, of most American magazines. But that was really what was really fascinating about traveling through time with 17 magazine was both seeing kind of, you know, what were the trends, what were girls reading and looking at how were they learned, starting to learn about sexual health through the media. And then as we got to the eighties and the nineties, how do we start talking about AIDS and dating and sexually transmitted infections? All of those things were covered in the magazine and it was so powerful. One of the main conclusions of the thesis is that as we see now, you know, we're seeing a major shift and a major tension in our culture around these same issues for girls. Once again, they are being brought to the forefront. Is that media offers just a great point of access. If you are in a very conservative, closed community, or you have parents who are very conservative and they don't want to talk about anything, but you have questions or something happened to you and you need help. Magazines were a great point of access to girls in rural communities or more conservative communities or deeply religious communities where they weren't learning about some of the questions that they may have had questions about. And so the same remains true. Media is a huge point of access for teenage girls. And that was always why I have worked to build media platforms and work on media projects serving young women is because when we are teenagers, we have a lot of questions and our bodies are changing. And 
the way to get information and the correct answers to those questions is oftentimes through healthcare professionals, right? They're the best. However, when you are a teenager, you don't want to tell your parents that you have these questions necessarily. You don't necessarily have access to a doctor. So you're looking towards the media and you're looking towards friends. So my work on looking at the articles in 17 and tracing girls' health through there was a lot about how do we, what has been the history of this access? What is the importance of media in girls' lives? And how can we dovetail off of what has already been done to create these solid resources for girls at a time in their life when they need it most? It's fascinating. I'm, I'm super curious on your take on, and again, this is an interesting conversation for me because I'm nor a daughter or a father of a daughter. So uh-huh. I'm like, access has changed a lot in the last mm-hmm. 40 years. Certainly there's still a, a huge plague of access in probably some of the pockets of the world and certainly around uh, strongly held religious communities that make it hard to, to find information. But for the most part, for the, you know, let's call it 4 billion people that are connected to the internet, information is very accessible. I think the fear that I would have as a parent, and and I'm very curious on your take of it, is no longer the access point, but the credibility of what they're reading. Given that anyone can publish a blog article, and I think that there was a time likely as you were writing uh, this thesis that there has been an eroding sense of pride to the craft of journalism and writing. And there oftentimes is very little research or diligence behind the words that people put to paper. And so how would you guide a parent in today's world? Is it better to get in front of it and and not leave the curious journey to a 13-year-old girl to get on Google? Or like, how would you approach that in today's world, given, given that reality? When we think about teaching our kids the information and the habits and the strategies that will help them thrive in all areas of their life, mentally, emotionally, socially, in terms of their performance, how do we ground them? How do we guide them in our current cultural context with the information that they have in their fingertips, however unhelpful? Mm -hmm. First of all, we want to get out in front of it. You know, I was a school counselor for a time. I've also, like I said, I've been a sex ed teacher. I teach and I also teach media literacy. I can teach kind of anything. Schools will use me as a mouthpiece because getting some of these life skills, habits and and informational sessions across the finish line is sometimes better done by somebody who's an outsider who comes in and can give a different spin on a language, even if the schools are have kind of messaging they would like to handle. So I teach a wide variety of things, but I specialize in love education, which includes sex ed and then media literacy, two of the main topics that I find parents to be very, very concerned about. As a school counselor and as a speaker, I get questions all the time. Oh my gosh, I can't, I can't believe you would bring that up with my kid. Why are you teaching my kid? Why are we, why are we talking about this type of detail in sex ed or what is the case? Why? First of all, you want to get out in front of things with your kids. Talk with her is called talk with her because the research shows, and if you talk to myself and any other expert in the field and you ask, what is the most important thing we can do? In my experience, when I was asking all of the experts in my early research for this book, because it it incorporates perspectives of many people in my field, everybody will say, talk with them, just talk. And it doesn't always matter what you say. It matters that you signal that you are willing to talk, that you are willing to get into the topics, that you are willing to guide them, and that you are you are there and willing to have a conversation when your child needs to have it. And that starts really early. One of the chapters in my book is called The Talk is Dead. You can't just have one talk. You have right. to talk over time. 
And that is a protective factor when it comes to what other cultural forces might influence our children's beliefs and the way that they're, the information that they're gathering. When we talk about how do we manage the information that our kids are getting online, media literacy is very important. They really need to be taught to think critically about what they're seeing, who they can believe. And one of my main messages and my main pieces of advice is when it comes to the things that matter most, mental health, physical health, kids need to know that they should come to their parents first. There's a lot of awkwardness, right? They don't want to talk to their parents about stuff. And that is something that everybody has to surmount from the beginning of time. But kids should know that they need to talk to knowing adults first who can guide them. They, they can Google anything and they will land in places we don't want them to land. And so we need them to know that they want to start with us. And if they have questions about anything that they've seen or heard that they need to talk to us right. first. One of the main strategies parents can use is to frame things around safety. If you say, I'm your parent, I need to keep you safe. This actually, the language around this came from one of my mentees years ago. And this is how her mother talked with her about birth control. I need to take you to your doctor. I don't know what you're doing in your life entirely. And you don't have to share it with me, but it is my responsibility as your parent to keep you safe. And yes. for that reason, you need to have this information and you need to know that there are these resources available to you and I am available to you too. When you talk about safety, kids can't argue with that. So that's what I would say is you want to have conversations. You need to teach kids to think critically about the media. And parents ask me all the time, should I survey what they're doing? Should I have an app? That's so personal. You have to know your kid. You have right. to have your own level of technology savvy. And that's part of it. One thing I will say, as promised, using sex ed as an example, it is very, very different for me teaching it now than it was 15, 20 years ago. Oh, of course. Yeah, sure. We used to teach all of these details. These are what sexually transmitted infections are. Sure. We're going to go through all the details. Now we do high points and we say, this is what you're going to find on the internet. You really need to ask a healthcare professional about it. So when we talk about information on these tough topics. Yeah. We, part of the lessons in teaching wellness to kids is teaching them to think critically about what they're finding online. Would you light my candle? I just love the musical Rent. And you know what else I love? Winding down by lighting my Brooklyn candle after a long day as I curl up with an inspiring book or journal in my notepad. My favorite scents are Santorini Escapist, which reminds me of my honeymoon to Greece, and Midnight Mojito, my favorite cocktail. Brooklyn Candle Studio was founded by Tamara Maine in 2013. The candles are handmade in Brooklyn and check a lot of boxes. 100% soy wax, plant-based and sustainable and free of toxins like phthalates, parabens, sulfates, petroleum and dyes. All the vessels can be reused and repurposed, and the company limits the use of plastic with none during shipping. It's a luxury home fragrance at an accessible price point, with the majority of the products ranging from just $18 to $40. Use my code MOMSENSE20 to receive 20% off your first purchase. So after the entire family's asleep, go ahead and light a candle to transport yourself to Maui or Kyoto and indulge in other products like room mist, diffusers, and bath bars. Good night. My biggest concern is, is that as a technologist, 
Uh-huh. We are we are quickly shifting from the um, search and discover to being forced discovery. And all mm-hmm. these kids these days, as early as 10, are getting on TikTok and mm-hmm. getting on these platforms that obviously you have very limited visibility into, but they're being served hyper-sexualized content. And mm-hmm. that's what, crazily enough, these 10 and 11-year-olds are creating mm-hmm. is hyper-sexualized content. And so I guess for a lot of parents and in my discussion with parents with kids who are, you know, have a, a children at the age of seven, eight, nine, mm-hmm. I know that there's a lot of fear about giving their kid a phone, less about what they're looking for, but more about what they're being served. Mm-hmm. And so is, do you think that these things kind of go a little bit hand in hand in terms of getting in front of something before you even give a 10-year-old or 11-year-old a phone, they're inevitably going to get on TikTok. They're inevitably going to get on Instagram. Do you just have these ongoing conversations because there is this reality that they are going to be served content? I, you know, Again, for our audience of listeners who have daughters, there's obviously a lot of self-esteem and image issues that go along with TikTok. I don't think 11-year-old girls look like 11-year-old girls when I was 11 compared to yeah. the material that I'm seeing online today. How do you address that? Is it like, okay, before we give you a phone for six months, we're going to start talking to you about sex and the life of being an adult? Or is it like you let them find something and come to you with questions? It's such a good question. It is very difficult. Lady Gaga said that social media was the toilet of the internet. Look, I'm on social media myself. Kids are on social media. Kids get phones earlier and earlier these days. It's a useful tool. We can reach them. We can give them more independence in ways because we can go pick them up somewhere. They can call us after baseball practice. Also, we're talking about boys. I, my book is about girls. I'm a girl and a daughter, but I've taught, you know, my focus is adolescent. I've taught boys for years. So I also, and I've taught in co-ed schools all over the place. So it's something I can certainly speak to. It's really difficult. You know, the fact is, is that it would be my personal recommendation that kids don't have those type of social media accounts until later. Agreed. That is my main recommendation. A lot of them, they do get served up this content. And then also I've seen kids, you know, watch videos on speed, you know, you know, they watch them at extra high speeds. They'll go to YouTube and fast forward through them so they can watch as many as they can. That has its own issues. When it comes to issues of sexuality, particularly personal health consent, you know, a lot of those conversations really start early. You know, you talk to a three-year-old about personal boundaries, you know, somebody came up, I was holding my two-year-old and somebody came and patted him on the back and he kind of slotted her away. And she goes, I should have asked, I should have asked, I'm sorry. And I said, you know, yeah, he's learning. He's already learning body autonomy. We can start having those conversations about these year boundaries and it's okay to say, please don't touch me or I'd rather you not, you know, it's hard to teach my two-year-old that certainly right now, but if you're planning on giving your child that type of content, you want to catch them before anything happens. This is what happens to me when I'm teaching. Why would you, why would you tell my kid about that? And I said, well, look, they're either already thinking about it or hearing about it, or they're about to, I teach, I, I teach sex ed starting in seventh grade. And by that time, if people's kids don't have phones, their friends have phones, their friends oh, have computers. So they're going to get it. It doesn't matter yeah. if your kid doesn't have TikTok, they're going to see their friends TikTok. And so I think that media literacy is really important on an ongoing basis to have those conversations over and over again. And some of them may be sexualized. Now you have to know your kid and you have to know your personal family culture and your community norms to be able to talk about those things in the language that makes sense for your community. And I always 
I'm not quick to make specific recommendations around that because it is so personal. So parents should be talking to each other, check in with a school counselor, see what they're seeing. What are the trends? Are there sound bites they recommend? Are there certain things in the school community that they are seeing that are very personal to you and your family? And certainly talking about media literacy and saying you might see things here or even if you aren't prepping them to be like, okay, well, you're going to get on TikTok and you're going to see this and it's not going right. to be good. You know, you don't necessarily want to couch it that way. But if you see a billboard or if you are watching a movie, you can kind of start teaching kids. That's a teachable moment. Okay. So I don't know if I like the way that they are portraying that woman. I think she's probably has better qualities and they're really focused on her appearance or why are they asking her that question? Maybe she should be asked a question like this, teaching our kids early to start thinking about those things. With with your book, it's called Talk With Her, A Dad's Essential Guide to Raising Healthy, Confident, and Capable Daughters. What are the, some of the key takeaways you could share with us that you discuss? I think mm-hmm. that what is so striking to me in my work is how fathers feel like they're doing a bad job all the time. And they they don't realize how much they're already doing right. My book is about wisdom that people can carry forth. It's also about helping people realize how much they're already doing right. That's really important. The other takeaway that I would say is a lot of times parents feel very alone when things are going wrong and whether it's a divorce in their family, in their marriage, whether there's a family illness, if it's something with their child mental health, physical health, an eating disorder, a learning difference that they're trying to get to the bottom of. There are barriers to parents getting to the answers and the solutions. And those barriers include this feeling of loneliness and isolation, this feeling that they are the only ones. Parents are reluctant to call their school counselors and pull them into the fold and say things like, my partner and I are separating. We had a death in the family. I'm worried about my kid. Parents don't want to necessarily always admit that to the school. They're worried that they're going to get labeled, that it's going to come down on their kid. And I think it's an unfortunate assumption. As a former school counselor myself, I can say that parents would call me all the time and say things like, I'm really nervous to tell you this, we're we're getting a divorce. And I'd say, okay, well, you and so many other people are there dealing with not identical, but similarly stressful situations. Thank you for telling me. We will keep an extra eye out for your child on campus. Let us know what we can do. Life is in session. So if there's anything that they need an extension on, or if you want us to look out for, please let us know. So I think the idea that parents really can and need to reach out for help is an important takeaway from this book. And one of the chapters is entirely dedicated to the listing of the types of professionals that parents can pull in to help with raising their children. What is the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist? How do you know if you might need to look into medication for your child if that's something you're open to? How does the school, what can you reasonably expect of your school counselor? And the importance of asking those questions and being a little bit vulnerable and letting people help you and then reaching out. One of the most striking interview findings from my research was that it can take parents almost two years to get to a mental health diagnosis for some of these same reasons. And I hope that people from this book, when they are really in crisis situations, will find the roadmap to get them to those answers faster. That's great. I wanted to also cover the broader issue of, of having daddy issues. 
you know, it's something that's the norm coming from my culture. My dad still to this day, we don't say I love you. We don't really hug each other. It's kind of this awkward side hug. And that's about it. And it and it kills me inside. You know, I'm like turning 40 and I feel bad that like I never really had that. But I think, you know, when he was a child himself, he also had this formality mm-hmm. with his parents. It's just a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband, who's also of South Asian descent, Sunil, will be super playful and mm-hmm. fun with our daughter, you know. And so it's it's so nice to see that like we've made a shift and the cycle is ending and it's great. But you know, there's so many women in my shoes where we didn't have um, this open lines of communication and bond with our dads. Mm -hmm. And it's still, you still have this void that you feel in adulthood. So how do you deal with these daddy issues as, you know, if you're speaking to a tween Mm -hmm. and then to a teen and -hmm. now to a grown adult, how do you deal with that? So I saw this meme, not to trivialize this massive cultural trend and issue that said, isn't it amazing that we call it, we, we talk about daddy issues with regards to women who have daddy issues when the issues are actually the daddy's issues. We put it on women, but it actually stems from men who came first and didn't necessarily, in my opinion, just have the toolkit. A lot of the research that I've been swimming in is not research that everybody knows about. There's not a lot of books that talk about what I'm talking about in Mm -hmm. terms of what impact fathers can have from the time that their daughters are born. It's very generational. And when I talk about my work, when people find out what I do, I get two sets of reactions from women. And one is I'm so close with my dad. I totally get that. And then I also get people who are like, I really wish my dad had that book. And the third one, you know, the third is just a question was what inspired you to write this book? Is it because you had a bad relationship with your dad or a good relationship with your dad? So there's this, there's a real separation. There's two camps, right? It's your either daddy's little girl or, or you have daddy issues. Exactly. And I think that is a big part of the problem. When I talk about my own experience in the book, as I mentioned earlier, it's not about being the perfect father. It's not about having the perfect relationship as we might expect this whole idea of daddy's little girl. It's not about men who are perfect being the only ones who can have daddy's little girls or good relationships with their daughters. What I believe has been lost is this ability to communicate for men to work through the challenges that they faced in their families. You talk about it being generational with your dad and what he got with his family and what he brought forward, right? A lot of men do not know that there's a different template. Mm -hmm. When it comes to parenting, I talk about in the book, women have this millennia of institutional knowledge. There's this brain trust in raising children. Men have been left out of the brain trust until recent decades. And so there was a time where they were really separate. That was culturally very accepted across many cultures for men to just be the breadwinners and women to be the parents. Men were more distant and they weren't as loving or communicative. They were the breadwinners. They provided food and shelter women did the parenting. And Mm. now what has happened in recent decades is men are doing three times the work of parenting. But still, when we look at the research, people are still like, oh, women are more set up parents to do this. I think it can be parent issues, right? It's not just daddy issues. It's in certain cultures, they call it the soul wound. 
you know, if you bring forth this soul wound that you haven't dealt with, then it's going to come into your parents. That's from the Native American cultures. That was from a class I, I took in college. I looked at that deeply. You know, when you carry forth your own issues without kind of dealing with them, then they come onto your kids. My hope, for instance, and the research I've done and talk with her is that you can talk about things that have happened in your past. You can try, you can learn what will actually have an impact on your daughter. You can talk through different styles. Perhaps it would have been better, you know, for many of these men to say, look, I'm really not comfortable. I'm uncomfortable hugging you and telling you that I love you because that wasn't how I grew up. And even that is a very powerful thing to say, but that wouldn't even occur to a lot of people to say it because it hasn't been men's roles until recently to, it it hasn't been expected of men to communicate on that level with their girls. Does that answer the question a little bit? Yeah, it does. It's very high level cultural trend. If you feel awkward, if you're having an awkward conversation with your daughter, and I say this in the book, if you feel like you're losing, you're winning. That means mm. you're a big winner because <laughs> interactions around these conversations and these topics are not the easiest. They are some of the hardest, but you just barrel through them. People say, you know, oh my gosh, how can you teach sex ed? How do you do that? You know, these conversations get easier over time and you can talk about anything. If you can talk about these things with your daughter, and it is so important to have these conversations because not only does it help father-daughter connection and more broadly strengthen family units, it also prepares girls to have difficult high stakes conversations outside of the home in both social and professional contexts in the near and the far term. Can you share some stats with us on when, you know, you do have a healthy, supportive relationship? how that really sets up, you know, a young girl for success in the long run in her life? Yes. So you ask what, you know, fathers do for their girls. Well, be a good man. Your, your daughter will marry a good man, right? Mm -hmm. That's, there's a lot of things that we could say about that. Certainly that is partially true and important for some people. It's not important for all people being a good man. Also, that's a lot of pressure on men who aren't perfect either, who are also feeling the pressure, right? You don't have to be present physically all the time to have an impact on your daughter. This is for men who are divorced. This is for men who are traveling, men who are overseas, men who are in the service. You just have to be a constant presence. Fortunately, we're in the era of technology that is doable. So you can be there by text every day. You can FaceTime a few times a week. You set these appointments. I say, you set the narrative. So think about when your daughter looks back, what is the story she'll be able to tell about whether you were there for her or you were present in her life? There was a study about men doing housework and men helping around the home. And when girls see their dads sharing the household load, we see a jump in their professional success, potentially because they say, oh, okay, well, actually I can do, I can have a career because the man will also help at home. That's not going to be my primary role. They can see there's space for them to imagine that they can have a career. Right. We also know fathers model healthy habits, and that can be a big game changer for girls. The way that fathers talk about food and, you know, not necessarily body image, actually, you know, try to avoid talking about body image. It's so touchy and it can go so many different ways when we talk about it specifically. But when we talk about health and we model healthy habits, that obviously can boost girls well-being and reduce the incidence of eating disorders. In one study, 
researchers did a a study, they did a meta-analysis of studies from around the world, and they found that actually father's love, the expression of father's love can be even more important than the expression of mother's love in boosting girls' well-being over time because men in many cultures are seen as kind of the most important family member. This They have this patriarchal energy and that translates. And so the level of father love that girls feel can actually have more of an impact on them than the level of mother love that they feel, because that's sort of a given, but fathers can give them a bump. We, I've done this exercise with men in my workshops and I'll say, okay, your daughter brings someone to the house. What do you want to say in your mind? (laughs) What do you want to say? You want to say all that stuff about scaring them away. You want to say all that stuff about how she's never going to date again, how she better be home by this time, how you're going to chase them down. You want to, but then think about kind of what you should say. What do you actually want her to know? And what you don't want her to think is that she needs to be protected all the time. You want her to feel really empowered in her relationships. When it comes to love, dads have a lot to teach. I mean, parents do. When we think about our generations, who was telling us about how to have a romantic, loving relationship? For a bunch of reasons, parents don't want to talk about that. But the fact is, is that that is that is a key theme that adolescents are interested in. Most of them, you know, many of them are not. You know, it's not for them, and they don't care yet. Or you know, fathers don't have to be perfect to teach their girls or teach their teenagers about that. Um, If people go through a divorce or people don't feel like their relationship is particularly great, it doesn't mean that they can't talk about it because we know that there's wisdom that comes and learnings that comes from these difficulties that other people have in their relationships. And when we think about what you want your daughter to know, you want her to know that she should be in a partnership that makes her feel happy, that doesn't have a lot of drama, where she feels totally respected where her body is her own and she can communicate with her partner and she should communicate with her partner. Fathers can and should wade into the conversations around sexual health and they don't have to talk about everything. In my book, we talk about way to break down the conversations and fathers can definitely talk about, you should be respected. This is the type of person I hope that you're with. I want you to feel this way. A relationship should feel good to you. So those are the types of things we want to counter that age old narrative of, you know, I'm going to background check this dude and never let him come and never let you out of the house again. We want to think about, you know, what are the things we wish people taught us about love early on? Teenagers are ready to hear it. I worked in Hollywood. People were like, oh my gosh, me too. Like, how was it for you? I was like, actually, I got really lucky. I worked for all the best men in Hollywood. They're incredible. They're all in the acknowledgements in my book. If you read the acknowledgements in my book, it's a listing of all the good men. I think that when it comes to this idea of there not being a lot of good men around, what we're coming up against is this cultural trend of expecting men to not be that awesome. And I think that part of that and part of the reason I wrote this book, and this is just my own angle on it, is here's a roadmap. Here's how to do a little bit better, you know, especially when it comes to teenage girls. I mean, people are just going to go wrong there. There's things that people can do, but it's just like with a little bit of education or a little bit of perspective, I think that you know, hopefully we can turn that tide and turn that cultural expectation around as well. I don't think men are malicious. I, I, again, to your point, we've all inherited in many different ways, legacy systems and stereotypes and gender norms and all these things that are long overdue for a refactoring and reboot. I think that in most cases, from my experience, it's almost like one bad pit bull ruins it for the entire breed. And I think one or two bad guys taints this feeling in everyone's mind and heart that all men are not created equal and that they're extremely bad. And what I'll say about the book too, is the book is about fathers raising daughters, but 
when people say, you know, why did you write a book just for men? The fact is, is a lot of the information is relevant for parents of all kids. It's about sure, health boosting our kids. So I think many parents of all genders are going to find this relevant to raising their kids. The book focuses on, in many ways, on the adolescent years, but it's really about parent-child relationships over the lifespan. And so no matter how young your children are, how old they are, I had people at my launch last night who, you know, somebody was thinking about having kids and she bought the book. Then I had somebody who had 20-year-old daughters who came and wanted to hear. So it's really about parenting through the lifespan. I hope that people will find the wisdom and direction that they're looking for in it. I just want to, just want to make this part of the road a bit easier and clearer to see for our podcast series is what matters most. So, you know, what is it that matters most to you right now, Kimberly? Well, I've got these two little boys and my husband, and we have been really excited to just kind of be moving through this phase of life together. We were very isolated during the pandemic. And so I think that what I would say is most matters most to all of us right now is just togetherness with our family. And that's really what we're focused on. And lastly, where can our listeners find you and in your book? Talk to her. You can find me. I'm Kimmy S. Wolf on Instagram and Twitter. I'm mostly on Instagram. That's mostly where I hang out there in LinkedIn. You can find me in all of those places. And then you can find information about my book at KimberlyWolf.com. And there's a whole page there. I'll show you all the places you can buy the book. You can also go to your local booksellers. There's also an audio book. So you can find Talk With Her wherever books are sold. It is on sale now. And I think, you know, we're definitely going to take a cue from you and, you know, talk with our family members, with our dads, with our girls and boys. And I feel you know, having these conversations and, and fostering these these bonds is so critical in, in their enrichment and who they grow on to be as individuals later on in life. And so thanks for helping us navigate that. Absolutely. Thank you so much. We learned so much from Kimberly's tips on how dads and their children, particularly daughters, can interact. And I feel like this lifelong relationship is one that really helps secure a young girl's confidence and sense of self-worth and value. And there's no age too young to be able to implement this. So even if you are someone who has daddy issues or maybe your daddy's little girl, you can learn something from this book. Talk With Her is available wherever books are sold and be sure to help your independent booksellers in your communities. You can listen to What Matters Most with Maple within the Maple app. And you can learn more about that when you visit growmaple.com. The app is available on Google Play and the App Store. You can also listen on my website, that's totalmomsense.com and wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, Good Pods, Stitcher, we are there. So this Father's Day and every day, take the time to relate to your girls. It's so important. If you have emails and questions or just want to say hi, you can email me at thatstotalmomsense at gmail.com. You can follow me at Kanika Chadagupta on Instagram. Michael's handle is at Michael Perry and Maple's handle is at Grow Maple and there's at thatstotalmomsense. So a ton of handles to follow and keep tuning in to what matters most. What matters most to you this Father's Day? Make sure to spend time doing exactly that. I'll see you next time.